Hi, hey, welcome to The Cordial Catholic, a podcast for non-Catholics, new Catholics, those looking to dig deeper into the Catholic faith. I'm Keith Little, an evangelical convert to Catholicism, and this podcast is based on one particular idea. It began for me when a Protestant pastor I was working for asked me the question, what's more important, the Bible or tradition? Well, that question hit out of left field and caused me to look deeper into my own faith understanding, the the history of the Bible, of Scripture, of tradition, church history writ large. And in that journey, I encountered the Catholic Church. It looms large in church history, and there it was. And for the first time, I began to read from actual Catholic sources, what actual Catholics said about what they believed and what the church was, and realized for the first time that what I thought I knew about the Catholic Church was based in large part on misinformation information, and and more often than not, on simple misunderstandings. Well, this podcast serves to fill in that same gap, the gap between what you think Catholics believe and what we actually do. Each week, I have a real Catholic conversation with a real Catholic thinker from the heart of the Catholic Church, answering those Catholic questions, no misinformation here. And this week, a, a really fundamental, like like bedrock kind of conversation on the show this week with my friend, Dr. Matthew J. Thomas, on, on justification. He has a fantastic, really concise, years-long work gone into an article on this topic. And, and we're here to talk about, really, the, the idea of, of can Catholics and Protestants agree on how we are saved? Is there... Is, is there a concord there? Is there agreement there? And if not, why not? And if there is, where? What are those areas? And and as you'll see as the interview unfolds, it, it comes down to so many times my own kind of journey, which was, for me, looking at what Catholics believed from the outside, based on what I believed as an evangelical Protestant, and really misunderstanding what the Catholic Church and Catholics believed on the ground on the other side. And it's surrounding words like like works or justification, sanctification, confusions around how these things work and when these things happen. And and like many things that I encountered in my, my faith journey, topics like these, just simply dispelling those myths and those confusions and those simple misunderstandings goes a long way on both sides to breeding more ecumenism breeding more understanding, breeding more uh, respect and and love and compassion and understanding on both sides, Catholic and Protestant. And this, I think, is a lovely bridge to build here in this episode because there is so much to agree on, so much to affirm, and so many misunderstandings to kind of dispel in this conversation with Matthew J. Thomas. I hope you love it. I loved having it. Anytime Matthew's on the show, we have a great time, so hopefully that comes through in this conversation and you love it. Conversations like this one are brought to you by our patrons at patreon.com slash cordialcatholic and our one-time sponsors at paypal.me slash cordialcatholic. You guys help to keep this show going and growing week after week, and thank you for your financial support. If you want to help this show, those links are in the show notes, and thank you for everyone helping to support this show, and thank you to you for listening week after week. So glad to have you here. And now, without any further ado, my fantastic conversation with Dr. Matthew J. Thomas on can Catholics and Protestants agree on how we're saved? Well, let's find out. Please listen and enjoy.
Hey friends, welcome back to the show. Thanks for watching. Thank you for listening. If you are listening on podcasts, thank you for listening. Make sure you subscribe to the show, follow wherever you find it. And if you are listening on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, please leave a rating or review. That helps to push this podcast out to new listeners and grow the audience of the show for conversations like this one. If you are watching on YouTube, thanks for watching there. Please subscribe to this channel, like this video, and leave some comments below. Interact, let us know what you think of these topics. Uh, this will be a great conversation for you guys to interact with. I'm sure lots to be said down there in the comments and always a fun place to adventure into. Uh, guys, this week I am joined by my friend, Dr. Matthew J. Thomas. He has a DPhil from Oxford, an MCS from Regent College up here in Canada. So that's fantastic. Uh, he is the author of some fine books, including Paul's Works of the Law in the Perspective of Second Century Reception. It's a fantastic book. We've talked before on the show about that, Dr. Thomas. And for our purposes here today, an article in St. Andrew's Encyclopedia of Theology aptly titled Justification. And that's our topic today. Uh, Dr. Thomas, welcome to the show. Always a pleasure to have you. Uh, thanks for being here. And hello. Hey, thank you very much for having me, Keith. It's always fun to be here. I'm always excited to, uh, you know, just sort of find what kind of sensationalistic title you're going to give to the episode. That's always, uh, I remember the first time I was on the show, we we're like, yeah, we're going to talk about works of the law. And then it's like, cool. Yeah. I have a little conversation. It was great. And then I saw the episode and it was like the early church versus the reformation. And I'm like, Oh wow. That's like, that's cool. I didn't know that's what we were doing. And I think the next one we we're just like, Hey, let's talk about, let's talk about saying Irenaeus. I was like, yeah, saying Irenaeus. He's He's a peacemaker. It's what his name means, Irenaeus. It's great. And so, like, we do a little Irenaeus talk. And then, what was it? I can't remember what the title was. It was like, it was like Irenaeus, Catholic or Evangelical. And it, which is like, oh man, he's really good at this. So, anyway, I'm, I'm just looking forward. I hope the aliens are somehow incorporated into the, I mean, there's, you know, you kind of have like the Lutheran, like yeah. alien righteousness yeah. sort of thing. So, I like justified by aliens. I'm just throwing that out there. You're the expert. I'm just, I'm just, you know, I'm only the disciple here. Wow. You know, my, my wife recently accused me of making really clickbaity podcast titles. And I said, no, they're not, they're not meant to be, they're meant to express like the essence of the conversation and like attract listeners. But I didn't know clickbaity just sounds like, like, like schemey, uh, swarmy. But now you come on the show Matthew, and make it seem, and you're, you're, you're making the case for her. So I gotta say, I maybe, I need to rethink my <laughs> my life, my life goals or something here. Yeah, or you can just get get rid of me, I suppose. But yeah, anyway, yeah. just justified by aliens. Justified I by that, a that justification. Somehow. Why you're all wrong? I, I don't know. And and <laughs> I'm thinking on the fly. This is taking some time to, to develop a proper title here. But our topic is justification, and this is I, I'm really excited to talk to you first of all because you're a fun guy to talk to, and listeners love our conversations. Thanks, but you're welcome. I appreciate but, that. Yeah, yeah. You're a fun guy to talk to you too. That's Thank why you. I always I, say yes to this. Yeah, I appreciate that. <laughs> I don't know why you say yes. Actually, <laughs> this, this is one of those topics that I think is so fundamental. First of all, because. I think, and your article is fabulous. I don't know anybody who could write, I'll say some nice things about you because I, I mean them, okay? I don't know, and you aren't paying me. And if you were, I would, I would say these things anyway, but I'd say them more eloquently. We've been practicing, rehearsing in advance. You've written so so succinctly and so well and, and so thoroughly on this topic, on justification. I think the title suits itself, justification. This is like the, this is it, guys. 
here it is. Here's what you need to know about justification. <laughs> and it's fantastic because this is one of those topics that I think is very misunderstood across across Christianity. I, I can think of as an evangelical looking into the Catholic Church. I thought I knew what Catholics believed with justification. It turns out I didn't quite know what I believed and what they believed was different than, than what I thought. And actually we had a lot in in common, based on what I, I thought we, we believed. And th- there's all kinds of terms that enter into these conversations that are kind of mixed up and confused, and we, we say one thing and mean a different thing, and, we, and we're often speaking kind of across or over each other. And you, you bring in here the kind of the early church fathers into the mix as well and talk about th- their ideas and their views on this, and kind of uh, bring in views of different reformers and kind of compare and contrast those with different views. It's a thorough treatment, and I think it's so important to, to do that and to understand that. And I wouldn't expect everyone to go and read this, read this article, and find it and read it, because it is, it is long and it, it's, it's weighty. So I, I hope I'm to... Sorry. It, no, but it, okay, it's good, though. It's good. I really enjoyed it. I don't think... I, I think listeners would benefit from the, the podcast version in the least. Okay, well, I'll, I'll put it that way. Uh, not to insult all your hard work, Dr. Thomas, but... <laughs> this is one of those topics that I think just just really needs kind of clearing up and ex- and and explaining well to get all of us on the, the same page at least, right? Because then we can say, okay, th- this is what the, the Lutherans believe. This is what Catholics believe. This is what Anglicans believe. Here's what the early church kind of believed. Here's what we meant by this. Was meant by this in, in, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And here's when when Paul talked about this. What 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 Paul meant, and and. You know, let the let the reader, let the listener, kind of make up their own mind on how on, on where they fit in this scheme. But laying all this out to dispel those confusions that we have, so we're not talking across each other and around each other, and, and kind of are speaking the same language, so to speak, in the same kind of framework. I think is is so important for, for you know for a show like this where I'm trying to get us all on the same page and see if we have things in common and and, and help the each other to understand each other, I think. So I think this is a fantastic topic. I I don't know where best to start with this, other than maybe asking you wh- when we say justification. I mean, that means different things to different people. Is there a way to kind of define what that means so that we're all kind of starting from the same place? Yeah. I think if uh, if there's an easy answer to that question, probably the history of Western Christendom would be like a little a little different <laughs> just because, you know, so which isn't to say that every, um, you know, every major issue that, you know, divides believers from, from one another comes back to this topic because, um, I genuinely don't don't think that 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 that's the case, um, but at the same time, there's a lot of challenges you know that are so associated with it. And so, um, I, just to give you you know read, or readers slash listeners um, a bit of a backstory in the article, it's this is what the the St. Andrews Encyclopedia of Theology. Uh, it's this great resource that's um, that's come out, and the idea behind it is that it's trying to do basically for theology what the uh, Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy has done for philosophy. So it's, if you look online, if you look at, you know, Plato or Aristotle or, you know, pick your favorite philosopher or your topic that you're interested in, uh, it's this great resource, which is peer-reviewed and then is consistently updated by, by academics in the, in the field. And the idea is just trying to provide something 
to everyone so that for people who are doing research who you know want to know more you've got something that's like better than wikipedia something that you can actually you know cite and that's not a that's not you know an anti-wikipedia thing i think that there's things for which you know wikipedia is really valuable but it's a little discouraging when you know you're reading papers and you know you have sections there it's like wow that sounds a lot like a Wikipedia article. And then you look at the Wikipedia article, like, oh, it's because I am reading the Wikipedia article. So I guess now instead they can just copy and paste my my thing. But uh, but you can cite you can cite this. And so as long as you put quotation marks around it, uh, I guess I guess you're fine if you uh, if you if you, if you do, do this. So um, it's a, it's a really great resource. Um, and the, the way that I got involved with it was this was. Uh, a little over a year and a half ago, um, Mike Bird, the uh, New Testament scholar, um, who does all kinds of really, really good stuff. He did the, the big textbook with N.T. Wright also. Um, he had originally contacted me about, uh, you know, co-writing this with him. And so because what we're doing this in this article is um, both all of the, um, the biblical material. So trying to give a, a biblical understanding of justification and then looking at the history of interpretation from, you know, a bunch of different lenses. So looking through, you know, the, you know, the early church, medieval period, you know, within various Reformation contexts, what, you know, one Protestant group or another you know, thinks about this and then taking it into, um, into, you know, modern scholarship. So it's, it's pretty, you know, pretty ambitious, um, you know, uh, article. And so he was going to kind of do the biblical stuff and then I was going to do the, uh, you know, the, the, the history interpretation. And then, cause, because everybody wants Mike to do, to do everything. It was just one of those things where he just, he just knew he wasn't going to be able to do it. And so he was like, Hey, what do you think about taking the, you know, the whole article on? I said, yeah, I'll give it a shot. I think it's, an, I think it's important. I think it's a valuable, valuable topic. And I think, you know, partially from the, you know, the, the works of the law book and setting, you know, justification, uh, you know, for all these years and the, you know, the years of writing the, you know, the doctorate and everything. I, I did have like all this research that I was sitting on that I could contribute to this also. So that then was a year and a half before us now. So it took a year and a half of, of reading, uh, you know, researching and writing, redrafting, doing everything to get what ends up if you press print on it amounts to a 44 page article. So it might not seem like it is the, uh, you know, as far as my use of time, you think, gosh, a year and a half and you wrote 44 pages. Um, that's, that doesn't seem particularly, you know, efficient. There are people, you know, who write 44 pages in, in, a, in a day. <laughs> Evidently, I'm not one of those people. Um, but the idea is it's trying to take um, all of, you know, everything, you know, with respect to, the, to this doctrine, um, you know, again, both both biblically and then um, within the history of, you know, the, uh, you know, kind of, kind of doctrine on it. And to state um, all of the essentials with respect to it in a way that's, you know, clear and hopefully succinct and that actually does justice to each of the individual elements so that, you know, a, a Lutheran, you know, you know, reading it will say, Hey, wow, you, you get it. You understand, like you understand sort of, the, sort of the genius of Luther and why he, why he's thinking in the way that, that he, that he does on this particular top topic. And so that's, <laughs> sorry, that's where, where this comes from and why it took a year and a half to do Cause in order to, to be able to do that, well, it just takes a lot of, uh, a lot of sustained, you know, listening and, and, you know, and, and research when you, <laughs> uh, doing, doing all this. So, uh, to get to, the, the, the question that you asked, part of the challenge is if we're thinking in a, you know, the, 
kind of the most fundamental way as far as what's going to um, be the basis for, you know, for unity of, you know, Christians of various uh, denominational backgrounds, whether we're talking Catholic Protestant, um, whether we're talking, you know, in relation to the Orthodox, whether it's between, you know, one Protestant body or another, um, the, what you, you know, ultimately what's going to be decisive is going to be scripture. And so what, what scripture gives us as far as the way this language is used um, is what we would want to be, you know, normative for us, for our, our own, our own beliefs. And part of the difficulty is that um, the words that get used here are actually themselves quite flexible. And so if you look both within the Hebrew usage, so if you're going through within the, the you know, the, the Old Testament, um, and then the way that they're the cognate, you know, he, Hebrew terms, the way that you find these translated into Greek in the, in the Septuagint and then following from that into the New Testament, even just like more, more broadly within, within Greek, Greek, liter, uh, Greek literature, um, these, the, the words can just be used to, you know, to mean a lot of different things. And so if you think of the word justify itself, um, there's different senses that you can get from this. And so uh, to just use some, some basic examples, um, you can justify somebody in the sense of, you know, to show them to be right. So in the sense of like, you know, vin- vindicated. Um, somebody can be justified in the sense of, you know, they're, they're declared in innocent. Um, but that same word is also the same, you know, the, the verb that ha- is we have in English as um, it almost, you know, I guess you could say like rectify. So what we would in English you know, we kind of divide into two different verbs. Uh, so, you know, justify or rectify. Um, there's one verb, dikaiao, in Greek, which is doing this. And so if you're thinking of, okay, well, what can rectify do? Well, I can, that can do a lot of different things because there's lots of ways in which you can make something right. And so you can set a person right in the sense of they were not a right person before and they're not been right. You know, so they, I don't know this, that Keith was really, was really naughty at school today. And, but we gave him a a detention and then he was, he was rectified by this. And then, you know, he's, he's been much better since then, which congratulations on that. Um, You can, you can rectify something in the sense of you can rectify like a situation, like you're going to do what is right in a situation. Like this is wrong. I'm going to set this right. And that's the sense I'm going to, I'm going to rectify it. Um, Can our challenge in English is that those are, you know, both justify, rectify can do a lot of different things um, in our languages. And you're taking all of that and you're having in one word group. So that, you know, if you take the verb dikaiao, it can do all of that stuff. And so if we're saying, what does it mean to be justified? It's actually quite difficult for us, I think, to limit the interpretation of that and say, hey, it can only mean this or it can only mean this. Because if you're going throughout the Old Testament, um, which it takes a while to look at all of the instances of this in the Old Testament. <laughs> but if you go through all of the Old Testament and you go through all the New Testament and then you look in some of, you know, the, you know, the, the kind of cognitive literature and stuff, you know, the ways it's used in other, other contexts, you get a sense of within, you know, a cultural context, you know, if you're a Greek speaking, you know, Jew and you're hearing, you know, you know, this verb, what, how does this get used in society? What's the actual way that people interpret this on a day-to-day basis? It's, it's a wide range of usage. And so um, in some ways, the later controversies that we have um, over, you know, hey, this, 
this must mean this and not this, or it has to, you know, mean, mean this, this thing. Um, some, sometimes what can happen is, um, some of the issues there can be trying to delimit maybe a bit more narrowly, um, an idea that is not easily delimited to just one thing only to say it's justice or, or justice, because it can carry a lot of different senses. And I think one of the things that's just important, you know, with human language is that like, often, even if we have a primary sense to something, the other senses, the other kind of, you know, overtones that can carry end up being significant for how we understand what's, you know, what's said as well. And so um, that's one of the the underlying challenges is trying to figure out what exactly do we mean in in a given context, whether it's Paul or James or whether it's something that we're taking from, you know, Isaiah or, you know, wherever it happens to be, if we're looking back, you know, all the way to Genesis with Abraham, what's, what's the sense of this and in, in what sense, what, 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 what does Paul mean in this particular instance when he's talking about this? What does, you know, our author of Genesis mean in this particular in, instance? And it's often, it's often tricky to, to say in any one sense, it must be just, just this one thing. Yeah. And I guess opening it up to, I mean, opening up to a more, a more broad way of understanding that, right. Is one of those things that kind of maybe helps to, to demonstrate, I guess, like as you're, as you're saying, why there maybe was controversies later on, because those are maybe more restrictive senses. I mean, like there's there's this tension that begins right in the Reformation with ideas of well, when was this? Is it is, is we're talking about forensic justification? We're we talking about a, a certain moment in time or or ongoing? Does this happen? Like, do you are you justified once and that's it, or or is there some kind of process that happens of uh, you know of sanctification after you're justified and these kinds of things creep in. I, I guess one of those things that causes that maybe is there a kind of restricted view of what justification means? Am I getting that right? I think so. I think so. And so again, if, if we, I mean, to, to look at what's probably for most people who are arguing about justification, because I mean, the thing that you also kind of have to remember is for the vast majority of church history, people aren't arguing about justification. It's really within the 16th century that this does become a real, a real flashpoint. Um, that, that, you know, those, those arguments are associated with what is a, a limitation of justification to the sense of, you know, what you, what you call the forensic meaning. So to say that, uh, that this is so forensic. So if you think of, you know, re- with reference to like a law court, uh, so that justification refers to the forgiveness of sins. So the, the judicial act whereby one is, is acquitted. Um, that's the distinctive sense that you get from, um, you know, Luther, although it takes a while for Luther to get here and even, you know, uh, I, I, uh, you know, there's, there, there's, there's folks, I think, um, Jordan Cooper, who I've talked to before on this. And I think that if I remember what from, I, I talked to him a couple of years ago, which is really fun. And, um, we had a conversation about this and he, and he was, um, he was, he was saying that in his view, Luther isn't, you, you can't just make Luther only forensic. It just doesn't, doesn't work in his thought. And I think that there's, there's some good evidence for, for that. And some of the same passages that I had sort of noticed in Luther are passages that he, he had noticed also. And, and at the end of this, this justification piece, there's, there's some of those, I, I, I pull out a, l- a little bit that seem to be more than just a, Hey, this is just about the, you know, the for, forgiveness of sins. It's just about, you know, acquittal. Having said that, 
that that does seem to be what you get from from Philip Melanchthon, who is uh, you know Luther's right hand man and the one who does a lot of the systemization of what you know becomes the, the Lutheran confession. So the limiting of this idea of justification to just you know the, the idea of it's just for forgiveness, and you see this reflected generally in Calvin. Also, there's some folks who do want to see other elements there in Calvin, but it, it, I think. I don't. I don't think it's unfair to say that you know Calvin has a strictly forensic view of justification. Now, to say that you know justification is forensic is in no way controversial to anyone because if you if you, you know go back throughout the medieval period of the early church, um, folks have always talked about justification as forensic, as the forgiveness of sins taking place in the justification. Of, of the believer in Christ. Um, what is distinct is the limitation of justification to this forensic sense, such that justification is the forgiveness of sins, but not also the transformation of the believer. Yeah. So prior to that, within the Christian tradition, um, Justification in the, the sense of the forgiveness of sins had always corresponded with the idea that justification is also effective, so that one is actually made just, is made righteous, as you might say, rectified by God's justifier, who can say re- rectifying action, so that they they actually, you know, they they have their sins forgiven, and the, the Holy Spirit comes you know, into them and makes them a new, a new creation. Those have always been understood as part and parcel of, you know, one of the part, part, part of the, the same, the same thing. And so that when God is, you know, declaring, you know, the for- forgiveness, um, this isn't in a sense, um, an abstract declaration. It's a declaration which corresponds with the reality that yes, this person is now a new creation. And so, you actually are now righteous. And so now you, Keith, being righteous now that you've been rectified, I can say you're not guilty, you're innocent because you are actually rectified now. Um, and you can understand, you know, if you want to prioritize one or the other, you can you can put it the other way around and say, you know, God's word is, you know, if you think back to Genesis, God's word is the agent of creation, right? So God says, let there be light and there was light. I don't know if you read that part, but yeah, I don't know. for me to fill that. I'm sorry. No, I want to. I want to give a dramatic. I want to give a dramatic pause there. That's perfect. Just, 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 yeah. So anyway, for all of our readers who read the Bible, you probably know it's coming there. But that's. But if you think of that, that's the way that you know God creates in Scripture. He, He says, "Let there be this," and the thing comes comes to be it, it exists it's, you know that's the way that he he, he makes things and um and so that can be a way of understanding this as well that you know god says you know let keith be just and keith was just um so that's another way you can understand how those those two things can go together and so in the earlier tradition prior to you know luther but then especially you know melanchthon calvin um this those those ideas had always gone together with one another and so what's distinctive about the Reformation era, um, I, you know, conception of justification, uh, which at least within the Lutheran and Reformed traditions, uh, is not to say that it's forensic, um, because that's always there, uh, you know, in you know, various degrees. What's distinctive is to say it's not effective, that it's not 
that this is something that's distinct from God's regenerating work. And so um, there's a, for anybody who's, who's interested in um, quite good old, older scholarship on this, there's a, uh, there's a really good article from 1982 that Alistair McGrath wrote on this um, called The Forerunners of the Reformation. And I think it's Harvard Theological Review, um, where he just says, this is what is distinctive about, you know, Reformation thought. And this is something that, you know, where you don't, you don't find something like this within the, the tradition that, you know, that precedes, um, you know, with what, you know, whether you go back to, you know, to St. Augustine or whoever, whoever it happens to be, this is itself. Um, I think the language uses is a genuine theological novum. It's a, it's a, just a new idea that you get in this period. And so if you think of the newness of this idea, I think combined with the importance ascribed to the idea, because of course, if you think of Luther on justification, he says it's pretty important. And like, you know, Calvin, Blank, and these folks, they say it. it's not just like kind of an important thing to say. This is it. Like this really is, you know, the heart of the Christian message, the Christian gospel. Um, that's where you start to get some of these uh, conflicts which get, you know, quite serious. And, you know, and for, for us who are, um, you know, are kind of the, the, the children of, uh, you know, a fractured, fractured church to various degrees, um, this is part of our own, you know, challenging, you know, history and backstory. Yeah, yeah. And you, and then in creeps, all these other ideas and kind of things, you, you talk about works, you know, works of the law, you've done a lot of work on that. <laughs> but those. those things begin <laughs> to creep into our understanding and there becomes confusion around those things too, right? So that, you know, myself, I say an evangelical who believed I was, I'll put it in, in the way of, you know, once saved, always saved, you know, justified forensically. And, and then I, that was, you know, that was me. I was kind of done, right? I, I would look at, say, for example, the, the Catholic, what I, what I thought was the Catholic view of justification, right? Which is wrapped up in, okay, you're, you're justified by the works that you do and have to keep on doing those works to stay justified, you know, to stay quote-unquote saved or you're not. Like those things, those misunderstandings and, th and those kind of other aspects begin to kind of creep into that theology. But it's fascinating, like the fundamental difference, the fundamental kind of dispute here is this idea of, you know, what we mean by justification and kind of how how that works does that actually change me or does that kind of not change me and the idea that it, that it's not you know effective as you put it is kind of a you know a, a newer idea and interesting that we inherit that as say evangelicals as protestant christians uh and then of course different denominations in protestantism uh take that and understand that differently but I think at the core, it's, it's interesting that it's, it's, it's kind of a, a limiting of what we mean by that term. And then, I don't know, I, I kind of see a wedge then kind of beginning to, to, to separate this idea and that, that kind of other things kind of creep in there afterwards once we kind of get that, uh, disagree on that, right? Other things kind of begin to creep in here. Not just what does justification mean, but then how do we, how do we understand that in relation with, with the works that we do? And how do we understand that in terms of, you know when that when that justification happens does it happen does, does it happen once and that's it's done does it that keep on having to happen you know can i can i 
kind of become unjustified? Like those are interesting questions that then begin to to creep in after this this initial thing happens here kind of at the Reformation to kind of separate that understanding, right? I'm not sure if I have a question in there, but I've read it. No, it's okay. No, I just like hearing your voice, honestly. Yeah, and I and I know I know exactly know exactly what you're talking you're talking about just from having you know a, a variety of, of you know of backgrounds as well. And so it's actually something that helps to give give sympathy for different sides of this. So to give one example of what you're talking about, if you're thinking from a Lutheran standpoint, how you, the the sense that's there is that to be justified is to you know have your your it's forgiven. Um, you receive this this gift of the forgiveness of sins. There's nothing that you can, you can do to merit it. Anything like this is strictly, you know, by by Christ, by our, you know, by our faith in Him. Um, and that's what justification is. So you're largely referring to, a, you know, a past act that's that's you know taking place in one's life. Um, if you have that understanding of this, and then you do something like you know, look at the Council of Trent. Um, it's easy to see how one could really, you know, be offended by the language that you see in Trent, because, you know, Trent will talk about, you know, of course, you know, initial justification, um, which, you know, there's a lot of correspondence with the the Lutheran view there. Then it continues to go on to talk about things like an increase in justification. You think, how do you get an increase in justification? Like, did God not forgive your sins really the first time? Like, was he crossing his fingers behind his back? Like, how does that... How does that work? And so, again, if conceptually, if justification is the forgiveness of sins and anything else that's, you know, going by the name of justification, it's not, it's not really, you know, anything else. It's just, it's just the forgiveness of sins. Why would you increase in the forgiveness of sins? Why would you want to increase in the forgiveness of sins? It just seems to, it just messes the whole, the whole thing up. Um, it shows the Catholics never read that, you know, read the Bible. Um, but if you, you think in terms of, you know, from the Catholic standpoint, which is itself relying on the interpretation that's there in the, in the preceding you know, tradition, whether from, you know, St. Augustine or elsewhere, um, the, the understanding that's there is, yeah, justification does have this aspect of the forgiveness of sins. That's a part of it, but it's not just that. It's also the process, both initial, but then on ongoing of becoming righteous, of being, you know, made more and more righteous, like, you know, like, you know, Keith on, on, you know, detention, hopefully being, being, being rectified further, there being an increase in justification that's, you know, taking place in, you know, in Keith's, in Keith's life. And so you can see how, again, the, the classic thing that, you know, is one always kind of comes back to in these kinds of things, how from a traditional standpoint, which is, you know, reflected in Catholic and Orthodox theology, justification and sanctification are almost kind of two sides of the same coin. You're, you're talking about the same thing using different words, different, you know, you know, metaphors and images, but whether you're talking about, you know, sanctification, um, whether it's justification, all, all, all of these kinds of ideas, they, they refer essentially to the same kind of thing that's, that's taking place. Whereas from a Protestant standpoint, and again, this differs a bit depending on what kind of Protestant you are. Those are things that you take as referring to different things. So justification at least for you know a uh, you know a Lutheran for for most reform folks is going to be the forgiveness of sins. The sanctification is something else. It's the process of being you know of, of being made righteous. But you wouldn't call that increase in justification. So it's an, it's a a good example of how just that slight difference yeah. 
and the way the terminology is understood can lead to, you know, what seems like, oh, that's, that's an awful understanding of justification, increase in justification. Um, so it at least helps. It's, it's one of the things that's, that's valuable and, you know, spending a lot of time and listening to these different perspectives because then you get a sense of like, oh, that's why this would be really objectionable from your standpoint. And if I understood this by the, those words, that probably really would be objectionable. And so that's why you know, certain things like, um, you know, the re, you know, in recent decades, the uh, things like the joint declaration on justification between the Catholics and, and Lutherans and stuff like that. I think that's why even, even if those haven't necessarily, um, you know, inaugurated the eschaton in the sense of like, we're not necessarily within a, 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 you know, completely, you know, reunited church, et cetera. I think that they're still valuable um, as kind of steps along the way to just doing really good listening to one another to understand that's, if you're objecting to this, it totally makes sense based on these particular presuppositions. Yeah, yeah, because again, it's those kind of confusions around the terms we're using, right? That's kind of causing the, the, the disagreement there. Because we're all, maybe I'm wrong, but we're all agreeing that it is not, so say my perspective on, on the, those Catholics over there was that they're working out their salvation and that they're saved based on the things that they do. But my mistake was, no, Catholics are, are saved, in quote, the same way that I was saved as, you know, as an evangelical with Christ, <laughs> through Christ, right. right? So any confusion that crept in around, right, this idea of, of, an, of an increase of justification or, or, you know, mixing up these terms, at that, at that moment of justification, I think, you know, historically, from the, from the church fathers, from the beginning of Christianity down through the Reformation, through, through I think, everybody, right, we all believe that we are saved through Christ in that initial moment of justification. That, that doesn't happen on works we do other than cooperating in that moment. Is that, am I opening up a whole can of worms by, by putting it that yeah, way? Yeah, you are opening <laughs> a can of worms. Thanks for that. But we I agree on that. that. We agree on that, don't we? That's no. it, right? So that's, it's actually really interesting because this gets to one of the areas where, you know, if you think of, um, I mean, one of the things that's interesting with Luther's theology is the way that justification and baptism are sometimes so closely linked that you can just you can just take them as almost you know synonymous um, because of the way that justification takes takes place in in baptism, um, and which he I mean he sees that and it's it's a uh, it's a it's actually a big point of emphasis um, within you know his his thought. Um, that this is this there's something that happens in baptism um which from his viewpoint doesn't seem like it can be lost though it is interesting how uh, you know if you've, if you've read, read the article you see this one of the interesting paradoxes with luther's theology is that he does seem to believe that justification can actually be lost you think how does that how does that work exactly if this is this kind of you know, an indelible thing. And it's and the best answer that I can give, give to this. Um, and it's something that, you know, Lutherans historically have struggled with, you know, throughout, throughout the centuries. Uh, if, you know, if you look in the immediate aftermath of, of Luther's death, it sort of fight over what is authentically Lutheran, what is his true, you know, legacy um, that, that battle begins, you know, immediately and is, um, it's never 100% worked out because of the tensions in his thought. But it seems as though from Luther's standpoint, while you can't 
lose justification by works, it seems that you can lose justification by disbelief. That you can't actually lose your salvation from falling in, into disbelief. And I don't know, I still think there's, you know, trying, trying to figure out how exactly do you make that distinction work. Um, it's not, I don't think it's always the, the easiest necessarily, hence, you know, the, the, the controversy surrounding it. But even Luther, who sees justification as taking place you know, within baptism, which you would think would make it, you know, something that isn't, isn't losable, um, especially considering you know his his views on on, on free will and such, um, he he still does surprisingly, um, sometimes unsettlingly, um, have space for and not just space for, but talks positively about those. Um, I mean, not positively like in a good sense, but he he does really speak about them uh, who you know who who you know who who fallen fallen away. So. Um, I'll just say is it is it is a can of worms, and it's one of the areas where when you look at this, if you just take you know take Luther's thought, um, where it, l- l- the precise maybe contours of Luther's thought when it comes to justification strike most I think contemporary evangelical readers as just perplexing because there's certain things where you, you see it and you're like, oh, I recognize that. That's what I believe, and then you just keep going. You're like, that's. I don't think that's what I believe at all, or maybe I should believe that. I just hadn't even thought about that. How does that, how does that work? So, yeah. And is there, I guess, I mean, in your research on justification and all this work, and I gotta say, first of all, I mean, one thing aside, you say 44 pages. I mean, synthesizing all this into only 44 pages is itself, I think, uh, a, a laudable achievement. I can see why that would take so long to read all that and then not produce a giant thousand-page book on this, Dr. Thomas. So that's a the, the shortness, I think, is its strength and and speaks to the hard work that you've done in, in, in reducing that and making it comprehensible and readable and thorough in only 44 pages. But is that, is that notion of, say, the, the, I guess the, the contemporary, maybe this is moving into more contemporary ideas, but that contemporary kind of once saved, always saved, you can't lose that, can't go away. Does that jive with the history of justification? Does that, that, does that fit well with the history of thought? Or is even that kind of a modern take on what even some of the reformers would have, would have said. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, I, it's great. I, yeah, it's great. <laughs> great. It's a great, it's a great question. It's a great question. I, uh, that, I guess you could say, um, if you're looking within the history of interpretation on justification, um, the once saved, always saved idea, uh, is not one that has like a, a, a whole lot of, whole lot of precedence to it. Um, and that's kind of, you know, both more broadly, but then also within, within Protestantism as, as well, uh, it tends to not be, at least, you know, if we're thinking in terms of, you know, the, you know, the original reformers, you know, a, a feature of their thought. So it's, it's really interesting. Um, one of the things that's condemned um, at, if I remember correctly, considering it's my own article, I hope that I remember correctly, uh, from, from the Augsburg uh, Confession in 1530, is the supposedly Anabaptist view, which is that you, you know, can't lose the Holy Spirit, that you're, that basically, you know, once once you're saved, you're always saved. And so from 
a Lutheran's standpoint, that's one of the things that's wrong about the Anabaptists, right. uh, along with a number of other other things. Um, <laughs> if that is it, now, it's, now it's challenging to say to what degree is that, you know, accurate of, of Anabaptists. Um, one because um, the things that are said about Anabaptists are often not particularly accurate in this in this era, whether we're talking from Catholics or very pro- various Protestants. Yeah. And 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 there's also there's no one set Anabaptist catechism. Yeah. The Anabaptists themselves are a diverse group of different kinds of thinkers um, who you know don't always have the same you know the same same view on on, on things. Um, but that idea you know, that you, that you can't lose the Holy ghost that, you know, once you're saved, you're, you're always saved is explicitly condemned by Luther and Melanchthon with the Oxford, uh, with the Augsburg confession, um, as just contrary to, you know, to, to what they regard as, you know, as, as true uh, biblical thought. Um, I think it's, it's different within the reform tradition. Um, there's a couple of challenges there. Um, one of the things that I had a chance to, to do within the, you know, with, with this article is to uh, spend a lot of time within various reform thinkers. So, I mean, you know, Calvin, of course, um, but, you know, also folks like Martin Bucer um, and, uh, you know, Peter Barnard for Binkley and just all, all kinds of really, really interesting, uh, you know, thinkers. And one of the things that you can, or maybe, maybe two things, um, one is that within the Reformed tradition, justification and sanctification, they tend to be more closely linked than in the, in the Lutheran tradition. And so um, this is, you know, Calvin talks about them as being um, distinct but not separable. So they're always going going together. So if you're talking about, you know, the, the sun and how you know, the sun has, you know, you know both height Light, uh, light, and heat, you know, heat rays, um, but those are those are distinct. But you know, they're not really separable. They kind of always go together. And he wants to talk about justification and sanctification in similar similar terms like that, um, so that you can say this is not the same thing as that. But you can't really have one without the other, and that's 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 itself, you know, um, a, a difference from most of Luther's theology. Granted that Luther says lots of things in different contexts. Um, they, they, they do have a really different em- emphasis that's there. Um, having said that, you can say, okay, well, what about, what, what role do works play within justification, within, within the reform tradition? And boy, if you, if you want to light up a message board, Keith, you just, <laughs> you just, you just jump on there and you say, Hey, Hey buddies, I was wondering <laughs> if you could just give me a quick little, you know, granted that, you know, these are, you know, that kind of like, you know, justification, sanctification, you know, they're inseparable. You know, what's the kind of, what's the role that works would play within, you know, our final justification? How would you, you know, like, is this something that's, you know, if we don't actually have the works, can we lose that? I was just wondering if you guys could, you know, fill it out for me a little bit. And, uh, and then you just, uh, you just put your, you know, put your, put your notifications on and just kind of see, see what happens. You probably, you won't sleep for weeks. Um, all hours <laughs> of the night, it'll, it'll be going. And part of that is, is reflective of, um, I think that there is more than one way of putting that puzzle together from a reform standpoint. And I think that, um, there are, there are often tensions, you know, w- w- within them. And so the way that Calvin 
you know, articulates this and presents it. It's not exactly the way that Martin Bucer, who is, you know, his, um, his, uh, you know, his, his mentor in Strasbourg, um, the exact way that he, he puts it together. And then subsequent, you know, reformed theologians don't always articulate in precisely the same, the same way either. And so, um, I, I don't, I mean, I think that if you, you know, when you're talking to, to reform folks, at least in my ex- experience, um, I find that uh, this question, so, you know, kind of the once saved, always saved thing, um, does, is, is this authentic to reform thought? And I can, I can just say 100% transparently, it depends on which reformed thinker sure. I'm talking to yeah. at the time. Yeah. Because I, I, I imagine that you probably have reformed you know, friends for him. This is the case. And, and the fact that this is the case is often tied in with a pretty strong theology of, of predestination. And they kind of look at, you know, Luther's stuff against the Anabaptists. And it's like, whatever, like, it doesn't matter. <laughs> that's, that's, he's just wrong. You, know, you think, you know, reform folks think Luther's wrong a lot, a lot of times. And so, yeah, you, you know, you're saved. That's, that's from an, an eternal de- you know, decree. And that's not, if it's an eternal decree, good luck losing an, an eternal decree. It's, you can't really change that one, one, one way or the other. And then I, I have other I have other reformed friends that really believe that the reformed tradition authentically teaches a real justification by works, uh, and that this that there is an element of conditionality within you know what 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 we do with respect to God's God's saving saving work, and so you know I, I highlight folks like you know Richard Baxter. And um, you know Jonathan Edwards as as examples of people within the Reformed tradition historically, who have held to some some version of of that. And so um, I think it's not to say that the Reformed tradition is kind of you know Baskin Robbins and you just pick the flavor that, that you like and, and go for it. But it is to say I um, this is this isn't an area that the Reformed tradition you know speaks or thinks, you know, with, with only kind of one voice or one, one mind. And, um, and de- depending on, on, on what kind of reform person you are, again, if you're, if you're a, you know, a Richard Baxter or a Jonathan Edwards guy, you're probably going to say, yeah, that once save, always save thing doesn't really, doesn't really work. So there's, there's variability in that, in the tradition on that, that particular question, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't ask that question to say, oh, gotcha. Like this is a new thing you guys invented. Like, you know, I, I believe this for, for most of my Christian life and oh, it was just invented and it was new and I shouldn't have. And that was silly and I went and, and, and dumb and look, there's no basis. I'm not, I, I, I'm asking the question to, to wrestle with this, you know, this contemporary thing that, that a lot of us, that I certainly held as an evangelical, that Really, I hadn't, we hadn't really thought this through to understand even the reformers who were the basis of our thinking this, you know, what they actually said. This is an idea that kind of, right, is through different, is kind of through time and history, the last 500 years of translation from these reformers down to me, a guy in the pew knowing very little thinking, oh, this is what we, what all of us believe. And this is what was the Reformation said this, and now we believe this. And, but really like what, what I was holding to was kind of a, a very strange kind of interpretation and mix of things from the Reformation that wasn't quite what the reformers had said. As you say, I, I, I see how these things kind of creep in when there could be different interpretations, depending on the reform person you're talking to say in, in that tradition. But you know, I, a question like that, and this this whole topic for me, I think 
speaks to, and you know, your article does this succinctly, to looking deeper at, okay, where do I fit in here? Why do I believe that? Is there good reason for me to believe that? Is this based in history? Is this based in I mean, the history of Christian thought? Is this based in kind of a good good thinking by the reformers who said, no, 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 this, this is more how we understand this. Is my thinking even rooted in the Reformation when I'm kind of this like ten, kind of 10 steps removed? I think it's an important thing to think through. And I think, you know, one of the things that really spurred me on to thinking deeper about this when I was on my kind of deconstruction journey, looking into my own evangelical faith and looking into the, the ancient faith and, and the early church fathers and what other faiths believe was this kind of, you know, this agreement between the Lutherans and, and Catholics on justification that you would think, okay, okay, if this is one of the major plot points of the Reformation, the, finding agreement here is then something that really should spur some kind of massive change. I mean, you, you referred to this earlier. I mentioned this in the article. Of course, it it didn't spur this kind of like the, the end of all division and, and reunification of all Christianity. What can we understand from that joint agreement that the Lutherans and Catholics signed on justification? Because it seems like that, you know, a joint declaration should be, okay, done and, done and dusted. We were, we agree on this after all. Like, what do we, what do we make of that? Yeah. So I think a couple things you can say. Um, one, I mean, as I said before, I think it's overall positive thing. And so I appreciate the work that everybody on both sides has done. And I think that there is, um, even if one was to really minimize, 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 one of those words, not sure. Um, uh, minimize, let's say minimize. You want us to minimize, you know, the actual uh, agreement that there is between those two sides and say, ah, there's, there's still these big, you know, major differences. Um, the fact that, you know, folks are, really listening to, to each other and really talking to each other. Um, I think, um, and doing so, you know, char- charitably, um, I think is, I think it's fantastic. I think that's a, a real step in the right direction. And it's something that is, you know, is, is helpful for, you know, continue, you know, growth and, you know, in, 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 in unity, you know, with, with one another. So um, I, I think overall it's a good thing and it's, it's an important thing. The second thing I would say is it doesn't necessarily solve everything. And there's places in which um, the agreement that you do have is based on some verbal ambiguity and um, which that's always going to be in some way unavoidable. No one is ever going to mean the exact same things, by ever, you know, any set set of words. And so um, because of that, uh, it's not as though verbal ambiguity um, by itself um, defeats, you know, any, you know, any, any kind of, um, attempt at, con- you know, consensus, um, uh, or reliance on it is, you know, uh, is, you know, kind of, you know, self, self-defeating. Uh, you can't, you can't get away from that, but you also, um, you also don't want to rely on that and just say, Hey, here's a set of words that we can agree on, even though we know that we don't actually agree on what these words mean. Yeah. And that's something that, um, John Paul II, in his, I, I recently uh, went back through his uh, encyclical um, that they may be one. So ut unum sint, from I think it was nineteen ninety five. He just says when you're having discussions with people, you can't just rely on ambiguity like that because you're not actually you're not actually solving the problem. You're just moving it. You're just saying like instead of us dealing with having to talk through the real areas of disagreement here, 
we'll just pretend like we agree with each other and then kind of go, go along so that the next generation has to deal with this and they realize actually we didn't agree at all. So you don't want to, you don't want to rely on that, on that, on that, on that too much. And that's one of the, the critiques um, that there has been of the joint declarations that there's places in which the, there's um, the, there appears to be more agreement than, than there is. And I think that that's fair to say, even though I think that it's also true that, that it does a good job of acknowledging where, okay, you know, Catholics still say this, you know, Lutherans still, still say this, you still have different meanings to the different, you know, sense, sense of these things. I would say that the thing that kind of is interesting that underlies all of it is the fact that if you look at this and you look, hey, we have a joint declaration, there's no mutual anathemas, there's no, like, these, this formulation is acceptable from a Catholic side, this formulation is acceptable to a Protestant side. If you say, if you mean this by this word, if you mean by this, this by this word, then there's no need for an anathema. There's, these are mutually acceptable. Um, you would think if justification really was the key issue that, you know, was underlies you know, everything within the Reformation era, well, then that would just end it, right? Like it, would, it could be all done. We'd all be unified again. And um, the fact that this has not happened, um, I think, is not accidental. And I think it actually points back to the fact that this neither is really the real issue in our day in the sense of the most foundational you know, point of division, nor was it actually back yeah, yeah. in the 16th century. Because if you think of what it was that, you know, caused, you know, Luther's original critiques of the church, it, you know, it wasn't based on an abstract theory of justification. It was based on the question of authority and the, you know, authority of the church as it related to, you know, purgatory and indulgences and things like that. And that's, really what the underlying discussions were about is authority and then justification as it becoming a, 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 a major point of focus as it relates to that. But the underlying disagreement is still most fundamentally about authority. And I think that that's was, you know, I think that that's actually the, the case both in the 16th century and, and still today. And so it doesn't mean that it's not really valuable and helpful to talk about justification. It doesn't mean that what, what, their, uh, you know, joint declaration folks like that are doing um, isn't really important. If I didn't think it was really important to, to <laughs> do this, I want to spend a year of my life uh, writing an article that's only going to be 44 pages. Uh, so I think, <laughs> I think all of this is really, is really valuable and it's helpful for us to have it, you know, understand, you know, biblically from a standpoint of, you know, the history of interpretation and all these different kind of, you know, denominational, you know, backgrounds and the, the various theologies that are associated with them. I think it really is valuable, but at the end of the day, um, the thing that, you know, if we're thinking, you know, today, why is it that Lutherans and, you know, and Catholics worship in different churches? Um, it's not because of the theology of justification fundamentally. It's because of the different understanding of, you know, authority. How does this actually function within the church? And I think that that's actually really is the case when you dig down um, with the, the conflicts in the 16th century as well. Yeah, I appreciate that you spend a year of your life to figure out this isn't actually a problem, and that there's a different pro different problem at play here. I think I think that's so interesting. But that that then goes to like the, I mean, kind of my you know my revelation in my own personal journey, and the and the journey of of many people. I think whether they 
you know, whether they are somebody, an evangelical who, who that becomes Catholic or somebody who just gets a deep appreciation for what Catholics believe and understands that better, is that, look, I, th- I thought I knew this about the other side. I thought I knew my faith as a Protestant like this, and the other guys believed this. You know, you, you come to an understanding and realize, actually, this isn't the, the problem that we necessarily thought it was. We had our kind of our terms defined differently. We, I thought you guys meant this by this, and I think you meant this by this, and actually, we're all justified by Christ. And I, I think it's fascinating that, yeah, you know, in the course of this and, and your research and the course of unfolding this article, this conversation, we, you know, in, in the end, yeah, we're okay kind of realizing that, f- for the most part, we, we agree actually other issues at play that then we have to move along to try to try and solve or, or or figure out next and i guess my last my last question for you before we put this thing to bed because you've solved this justification problem obviously once and for all and we can all move on to the, the next big problem hopefully you are working on that for us to solve next dr thomas um here's one last spicy question can i as a catholic okay now affirm Sola fide, affirm that I am saved by faith alone. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, I still think you're probably going to need the detention, Keith. <laughs> uh, but am I talking to a generic Catholic or am I talking to Keith? Because I know you some. So, um, no, so that's actually, it's a great, um, it's a great, a great question. And I think, um, you know, I, I close, I close this article um, by showing, you know, there's a really great quote from, uh, from Benedict the 16th and talking about this, the sense in which, um, you know, he is, you know, pontiff, um, evidently the antichrist, if you spend enough time, you know, or even a couple of pages <laughs> reading Luther and Calvin, it is interesting, see, you know, hearing how the antichrist is actually saying, you know, there's a real sense in which you can affirm what Luther is saying by, you know, by, by sola fide. And you think, Oh, what kind of sneaky thing is the antichrist doing, doing next here? Um, but I think that there is real actual, if you look at what, what, you know, what, what Benedict is saying there, um, maybe that there's real convergence um, between Benedict's presentation, and I'll, and I'll leave the quote, you know, for the reader to go and to check out at the end, and what I think Luther and Calvin, and what to me seem like their, their clearest moments, you know, are saying is that it's ultimately it's Christ is the source of justification. It's God who justifies us through through Christ, and um, however it is that we conceive of that, it's through our being united with Him that we come to share in his righteousness and his righteousness is ultimately the thing that's great because none of us make ourselves righteous. It's, it's God who shares his righteousness with us. And so then the question is, you know, what do you, what do you mean by, by fide then? Or what do you mean by, by, by faith and what's, what's necessary for us to, to, you know, to have this union with Christ, what's necessary for us to, you know, to share in his life. And this is an area where, I mean, you can have lots of debate as far as, you know, what, you know, what exactly does, you know, biblically does, 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 does faith mean? Um, almost all interpreters are going to say that this means more than, than just belief, than just, I think that this thing is true. Um, because of, you know, as we talked about in other podcasts before, because the word, you know, the Greek word pistis means, you know, both faith, then also faithfulness, um, you know, trust, loyalty, 
um, Fidelity, um, you know, Matt, Matt Bates uh, has uh, you know, his book Salvation by Allegiance Alone, which says, you know, this, the word, the English word allegiance does a really good job of capturing yeah, yeah. Um, what it is that, you know, biblically is meant, is meant by faith. And um, I, I just ran into him in San Antonio and I was, uh, I, I like text him random examples I get from the Septuagint. I was like, oh, this is one that seems to, seems to fit, fit really well with what you're, what you're saying there. Um, almost everybody is going to say, yeah, by, by faith, we mean more than just, Hey, I think this is true. Or I just, I just prayed this, this, you know, this prayer one time. Um, it is, you know, it's the relationship of trust. It's the relationship of love that we have with God, which Christ himself being God goes and, and gives to us that he inaugurates with us. And so, um, as, you know, as Benedict, you know, says, um, in that, in that quote at the end, as long as by faith, we don't mean like a faith that's like opposed to love or that's, you know, contrasted with love in any way, then there is a sense in which you, you can say that because faith is both the foundation of everything else that, you know, that we have in our relationship with God. And if understood in this more robust sense of, you know, the, our, the, the, the faithfulness that we have, you know, to, to God and the way that, you know, we continue to respond to, um, you know, what it is that he, you know, he gives us, we continue to work out, to use the language of the Philippians, if we continue to work out this, you know, this, the, you know, this, this faith, we continue to work out this, you know, the, um, you know uh, the salvation that God has, has, has brought, brought us, um, then I think you, I think you can affirm that. Um, and I think that it actually ends up being, um, you know, a pretty, a pretty good basis for, you know, real ecumenical conversions. Yeah. But, there's, but there's two things that you have to say, I think, is necessary caveats. And the things are, you have to make clear if you, you know, if you're going to do that, that, um, you know, what is it you actually mean by faith? What are, what are you talking about when you say this? Because somebody can really mean something, you know, quite more, you know, quite, quite robust by it, um, which a lot of times when you're reading Luther, you think, yeah, he really means something that is really robust when he is talking about it. Um, or he can mean something else. You can mean something that is more of a cognitive kind of assent, which you probably wouldn't want to say that you're, you know, the one is, is saved by, you know, by that alone or justified by, by that alone. You also have to say as well, if we are ultimately going to be people that are, you know, what, what is going to dictate our, our theological categories is going to be scripture and, and I think whether Catholic, Protestant, you know, Orthodox, take, take your pick. Um, I think that we probably all want that to be the case um, so that we don't just say, hey, this is my doctrine because I say it is. And I don't care what yeah. the, Bible, the Bible says. We probably also just have to be candid and say, um, in light of what you get in James 2.24, if I remember correctly, um, you know, where James says, hey, we see it, you know, not justified by faith alone, you think. Oh, interesting. So not by faith alone. And so if we are, the fact that the one time that faith alone does show up as a phrase is preceded by not uh, faith alone, it, yeah, I think yeah. would, again, if we, if, 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 if we, from a standpoint of, you know, taking, if we're sort of semper reformanda, uh, to use a good, good phrase, and we're always, we're always reforming our doctrine, our doctrinal, for, you know, formulations by the standard that scripture gives us, then I think that we probably would have to say faith alone might not be the best 
way to articulate this if the one time it shows up in the New Testament is not faith alone. Even if there is a real true sense of it, as I think, you know, Benedict shows us, I think you could find it, at least some some formulations of, you know, of Luther and Calvin, even as you like to say it, Keith, um, we just, we, we, if we are going to be people that, you know, ultimately have, have scripture as, as a, you know, our standard for doctrine, we probably want to be at least careful with the way we use that phrase. Maybe we can say that. Yeah, that's, that's fantastic. <laughs> Thanks for that. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Thomas, it's always a pleasure to have you on the show. Uh, hopefully, uh, we have not just confused listeners further by my interjections, uh, interrupting you and, <laughs> and bringing you off course. This was wonderful. Uh, so thank you for your time. Uh, you have some fantastic things out there and available. Uh, y- your book behind me here on the shelf as a work of art uh, is phenomenal. I've lent it to many people. It's quite dog-eared now and full of highlights and stickies as I have shared it around and said, hey, check this out. This is fantastic. Uh, it- it's wonderful. Other stuff besides, is there one particular place that you want to point people towards to, to follow anything you're doing or, or watch for anything or or, or to get it, I put links in the show notes to, to this stuff, but is there anything in particular that I, that I should, I would be remiss to not include? Man, I, you know, I don't know, Keith, I really appreciate how kind, how kind you are to me. So thank you. Um, I only just come on this just to hear all your really nice compliments. So, <laughs> uh, I, you know, I, I, really, I really appreciate it. Thank you. Um, I don't really, I don't really do like the online presence thing. Um, partially just because I'm always working on stuff like this. And then, you know, me, me and Leanne have, have a bunch of kids. And so we're always, we're always do, doing stuff with them. Um, you know, if you're, uh, Leanne and I, a couple of years ago, were asked to, uh, to write these, this popular level, uh, introductions to, to first and second Maccabees. Yes, and so, yes, yes. so it's part of, part of the Ignatius study Bible, which has been delayed for like 20 years, but is evidently coming out, you know, pretty soon. And so they, yeah, they printed those, those things out. Um, and it's like a little, I think it's like a little $10, like thing they it's like almost like a workbook looking thing and so that's that's one thing that's come out uh recently so again whether you're you know protestant catholic or anybody if you're interested in learning uh what those books are about uh you know and i spent spent a few years working on those and really really learned a lot and there's just a lot of really rich rich material um in in there so that's that's something that's that's out but i don't know if there's any Anything else anywhere I could I could point anybody. Um, I uh, if if you if you find us on Facebook, there's um, we're always putting up videos of our, the Bible verses that our kids are memorizing because they're they're pretty they're pretty incredible with that. And so if you find me find me on there, that's that's probably what you'll what you'll be getting most of the time. So that's fantastic. And I should say too that your wife recently was also on this podcast, uh, telling her amazing faith journey, which is just incredible. Way more interesting than anything you have to say, uh, Matthew. No, you mentioned true. that before. I, yeah, you told me that, and you were absolutely right. I yeah, agree with her yeah. wholeheartedly. So yeah. I can put links to that as well in the show notes and your two previous fantastic appearances on very interesting topics too. Less interesting than her, but interesting <laughs> nonetheless. Listen, I want to say thank you again for your time. Thanks for being here. Thanks for entertaining us with this. This is awesome stuff. Uh, you're working in some fantastic areas of theology, and so we're indebted to your work, your hard work, your years of toiling away to produce something that just says, you know what, we agree mostly, and this isn't even the problem. So, so thanks for that. God, God bless God bless you, your lovely family, uh, the work you do for the church, and, and thank you. Thanks for being here again on, on the show, uh, Dr. Thomas. Thanks so much, Keith. I appreciate it.
Well, thank you guys once again for listening to the Cordial Catholic Podcast. Hopefully you enjoyed that conversation. Uh, Matthew is a fantastic guy. We have lots of fun on and off the air all the time, sending things back and forth, reviewing things I'm thinking, and he's sending things my way. I saw a fantastic early draft of this article we talked about on the show this week that was missing the whole last part of it. And so I got to the kind of the middle, and I'm like, Matthew, what? This just ends here. What, where's the rest? And it was turns out it was an early draft that really was missing the, the bottom half of the article. So pretty important that last bit of it, uh, the conclusions that he comes to, which I think are, are fascinating for the audiences uh, of this show. So hopefully you enjoyed that and this discussion. I hope you did. Let me know. Cordialcatholic at gmail.com is our email for uh, your feedback. Let me know. I am often at times overwhelmed with your emails, but I get back to them as soon as I humanly possibly can. So thank you for writing and please keep on doing that. TheCordialCatholic.com is our website for show notes for my blog and those kind of things we're, we're doing there. We're on YouTube, youtube.com slash TheCordialCatholic to watch what you are hearing. And hey, if you can, head over there and help me to grow the channel just subscribe uh, hit the like button do all those kind of things that really that channel is slowly slowly growing but but really i i think i could have a much wider audience and lots of people come over and say hey why is this a bigger channel why are more people watching and i, I don't know well please help me out if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, please leave a rating or review that also helps push the podcast out to new people and hey thanks for listening guys talk to you again next week uh, I'll be here. No, I'm praying for you. Pray for me too. Take care and God bless. This show is brought to you in a special way by our co-producer patrons over at patreon.com slash cordial Kathy. A special thanks to Ellie and Tom, Kelvin and Susan, Stephen, Suzanne and Victor, Phil, Noah, Nicole, Michelle, Jordan, John, James, Gina, and Aram for your special support at the co-producer tier and making this thing possible. You guys are fantastic. God bless and thanks for your support.